Yale Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quadcast, a Yale Divinity School podcast series focusing on issues related to religion, culture, and politics. In this episode, Emily Judd interviews Yale Divinity School alumna Carrie Robinson, executive partner at Leadership Roundtable, a nonprofit promoting best practices and accountability in the Catholic Church. Robinson talks about participating in high-level meetings at the Vatican to advocate for women in positions of leadership in the Catholic Church. And no solution to a challenge facing either the church or the world itself will be complete without the presence and authority of women. She also shares successful fundraising lessons learned from her experience as Director of Development at Yale's St. Thomas More Catholic Center. Let's be careful about the way we speak about fundraising. No wonder if we're using all of this manipulative language of violation that people have a bad taste in their mouth about it. And Robinson recalls the unforgettable advice she received from Yale Divinity School professor Margaret Farley. I have taken this advice to heart and really highly recommend the discipline. For the past 15 years, you've participated in high-level meetings at the Vatican, advocating for women's leadership in the Catholic Church. Recently, Pope Francis appointed women to senior positions in the Vatican. How much of this progress that we're seeing is because of the campaigning of lay Catholic women like yourself? Well, we certainly were but one piece of what I think of as a beautiful mosaic and historical thread advocating for women to be in meaningful leadership positions and in preparation for our very first delegation to the Vatican, which spanned a week of meetings with individual cardinals who were the prefects and presidents of the pontifical uh, congregations and councils. We um, consulted many, many women, both women religious and lay women, throughout the United States and across the world. And we asked for two things. We asked for their input, their advice, their counsel, and we asked for their prayers. And while we were in Rome that first week, we truly felt held in prayer by so many of our sisters in faith, uh, really throughout the world. Our thesis essentially to each of the cardinals was that a young Catholic woman, particularly from the West, could look at the landscape of her professional life and know that she could rise to the highest levels of leadership in any sector or industry. But when that same young woman discerned a vocation of service to the church she loved, she would invariably be met with limitations on bringing her full complement of skills and abilities to bear on that role, on that service, and on that leadership. We weren't so much advocating 
for women because this is what women deserve. Of course they do. We were really there advocating on behalf of the church. This is what the church deserved. This is what the church needs. This is how the church can flourish. And without such talented women bringing their full complement of skills and abilities to bear on their leadership, the whole church is impoverished. We wanted to propose things that were possible and almost immediately possible. The conversation around restoring women to the diaconate was one that gained more traction and possibility with Pope Francis because he has twice now convened international experts and scholars and thought leaders around this very subject, exploring the history of women in the diaconate. And so we wanted to introduce it, encourage it, uh, have this be a part of our of our dialogue with the cardinals, really to pave a, a way forward. Now, we've kind of touched on Pope Francis in particular when it comes to women's progress in the church. Do you think that the recent steps that we're seeing towards women's inclusion is because of a personal conviction that Pope Francis has about women? Or do you think it's because of the influence of your work? Well, interestingly, although Pope Francis may get a lot of credit when it comes to popes, when we began this work specifically in in the Vatican, uh, that was three popes ago. And uh, all of these popes, Pope John Paul II, Pope Benedict, and Pope Francis, have each at a certain point in their pontificate looked out and um, decried the lack of women in positions of leadership in the Curia. So they've all expressed an advocacy for this. Uh, and we simply wanted to encourage them in that pursuit and offer concrete examples and ways that that could be made manifest. I would say that there is a groundswell of both women and men, ordained religious and lay, particularly across the United States, which is the country that I live in, um, calling for a greater visible presence of women in leadership with men. The emphasis on co-responsibility, ordained religious and lay, women and men working together, being responsible for the health and vitality of the church. Women's leadership together with men matters. And no solution to a challenge facing either the church or the world itself will be complete without the presence and authority of women. It's really a matter of moral and managerial urgency. Now, some critics say that the Catholic Church is anti-women. How do you respond to that? The Catholic Church, like any one of us or any human institution, is flawed, is imperfect, but at its most authentic it must be entirely pro-woman. Deep within the Catholic imagination, if not universally particularly well applied in practice, is imago dei, the conviction that all people are created in God's likeness. So all forms of prejudice and discrimination are contrary to Catholic teaching. 
I think this faith claim alone argues for the full participation, value, and equal respect for women as for men, girls as for boys, all members of the human family. I like to think that I am Catholic because I am a feminist, and I'm a feminist because I'm Catholic. I also wanted to ask you about your book, which is titled Imagining Abundance, Fundraising, Philanthropy, and a Spiritual Call to Service. You base it on the premise that fundraising is a ministry and a vital and rewarding one. But in the book, you write that at one point, you hated the very thought of fundraising. How did you change your perspective? It is true. At a certain point in my life, I was filled with so many biases about fundraising. A few short years after I finished my degree at Yale Divinity School, when Father Bob Boulogne the fairly new Catholic chaplain at Yale University called me and invited me to work with him to expand Catholic life on Yale's campus. And specifically, he wanted me to serve as the director of development, spearheading a $5 million capital campaign. I was seven months pregnant with my second child. And the last thing in the world I wanted to do was accept a new job that involved fundraising. I felt totally inadequately prepared and I had all of these biases. But he said to me, Carrie, don't give me your answer right now. All I ask is that you pray about it for five days And whatever your answer in prayer is in five days, of course I will honor and respect that. So I readily agreed to this because I knew that after five days of praying, my no would be especially eloquent. (laughs) And of course, the story ends with me praying and realizing, you know, prayer at its most authentic changes the one who is praying. And that's exactly what happened to me. To my utter astonishment, even to this day, I found myself in prayer realizing this man is not calling me to offer me a job to raise money. He is inviting me to live out my vocation. Through the nine years we worked together and the success that we had in this, in this ministry together, I find myself compelled to help disabuse other people when they confess to biases about fundraising. It really is a, a ministry that can transform the very organizations and institutions we so value. In your book, you touch on the obstacles to fundraising in faith communities, and you argue that some faith leaders feel that seeking money for their communities is actually somehow contradictory to their calling. What is your response to that line of thinking? What do you say to that? So the first thing I, I realized was the obstacle of, the, of language and how we talk about fundraising. It, we use all of these common terms, but when I was cast in the role of fundraiser, I thought these terms are so negative. I don't, I don't really identify with them. So think about, for example, we will say, hit her up for money, put the squeeze on him, 
target them. It was all the language of, of violation. And so I wanted to kind of call that out first and say, let's be careful about the way we speak about fundraising. No wonder if we're using all of this manipulative language of violation that people have a bad taste in their mouth about it. There was also a theological ambivalence about wealth that was clearly part of the equation. And we would spend a lot of time talking about that. Is money uh, holy or is it sinful? Is If it's sinful, is it the attachment to money? Is it the misuse of money? All of that was, those were important soulful discussions about our work together because if we didn't address it, we would carry this cognitive dissonance um, and, with us and that would be communicated when we engaged with donor prospects about it. Your executive partner of the Leadership Roundtable, which is a Catholic nonprofit that seeks to promote best practices and leadership and management within the church by involving lay people. How did your time at Yale Divinity School prepare you for what you're currently doing with the Leadership Roundtable? I absolutely loved my time at YDS. It I knew intuitively when I applied that I wanted to have a greater grounding in Christian theology, in church history, just um, be, be more articulate about Christianity, have a better understanding of ecclesiology, a better understanding of ethics. I concentrated in ethics and essentially um, found every one of those courses in ethics directly relevant to Leadership Roundtable, even though Leadership Roundtable would not be born until many years later when the abuse crisis in Boston brought sexual abuse in the Catholic Church to the forefront of everyone's consciousness. At that time, I was working with Father Bob at St. Thomas More at Yale, and we had been going around the country arguing that we were taking the topics of the day, illuminating them from the perspective of faith, and engaging students, these brilliant students from all over the world, to enter into a rich dialogue, debate, and discussion about the relevance of faith. Suddenly, the topic of the day was our own church's uh, sexual abuse crisis, the worst crisis we had ever experienced in our lifetime. We temporarily abandoned or suspended the capital campaign, even though our board was... Um, reprimanding us in a sense, saying, you didn't cause this. You, you have nothing to do with it. Just keep, you know, keep going about the business of raising money for Catholic life at Yale and expanding Catholic life on Yale's campus. But we really thought that that was the unfaithful thing to do. And so we suspended the campaign and we planned over nine months, a three-day conference on Yale's campus called Governance, Accountability, and the Future of the Catholic Church. 500 people attended. 
the material was absolutely wrenching. We mostly wanted to focus on the underlying conditions that may have contributed to the scandal. And that really, in a sense, was the launching point, certainly for me, into Leadership Roundtable. I would like to end the interview on a fun note. I'm wondering if you can share a favorite memory that you have from your time as a student at YDS. I would say one of my favorite memories has to do with a beloved professor, Margaret Farley. She was my, um, I guess, randomly assigned advisor when I first began at, at YDS, but she became the person whose courses I sought out at every possible opportunity. And um, even to the point of creating reading reading groups and, and special courses just to benefit even more from her wisdom and her knowledge. Um, but I remember this one moment in class, and there were a lot of other Catholic women and, and men um, at Yale Divinity School who were in this particular class. And she must have overheard us grumbling and complaining and, you know, being frustrated by this aspect of the church or this aspect of it. And finally, she just kind of called a timeout and she said, wait a minute, class, class, you are all here at Yale Divinity School studying this at a very high level. There must be something you love about being Christian, about being Catholic. And then she said, the, gave us the advice that I regard as, as the best advice um, one, one can have, especially in times of anguish, when the institutional church fails to live up to its potential or manifests ignoble qualities, qualities like clericalism, fear, secrecy, prejudice, or even mediocrity. And, it, and this was her advice. Remember what it is you most love about the church and membership in it. Name what you love. Claim what you love. It will provide ballast to allow you to navigate with fidelity and focus when you are invariably disappointed or discouraged. And I have taken this advice to heart and really highly recommend the discipline. That's an amazing story. And I'll share a story in return, a similar story. I actually had a fellowship in Rome, Italy for my final semester at YDS, and I came back for graduation totally disillusioned with the Catholic Church. I saw so much patriarchy, unfortunately, and I really thought, why do I love the Catholic Church? I had to evaluate, why do I choose to be Catholic? And I actually had coffee with Professor Teresa Berger, an amazing Catholic professor at YDS, I think following in the footsteps of Professor Farley. And she had similar types of advice and shared that there was actually a time where she reevaluated, should she be Catholic? And it, so it seems through the generations of students at YDS, there's still that name it, claim it uh, 
conversation going on. And I think that's a, a really healthy conversation to have. It's amazing also that we have these top notch Catholic professors at YDS. Amen. And Teresa is wonderful. So lucky you. (laughs) And I want to thank you so much for joining us today and discussing women in the Catholic church and fundraising as ministry. I think there are so many insights that people can apply to their own lives. So thank you so much. It was wonderful to be on your podcast, Emily.